HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Juul, the immersion circulator for sous vide by Chef Steps. Order now at chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from roughly 12 to roughly 1245. Uh, Bushwick, Brooklyn. Uh, joined, uh, as usual, with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How you doing, Stas? Good. I'm using Nastasia's normal microphone, and it's even more uh, kind of like... It's worse than yours, right? It's even worse than mine. I'm surprised. I always thought I was giving you the good one, but no, it's all like bent and crooked. We got Dave in the booth. How you doing, Dave? I'm good. Not, to- not bent and crooked in here. <laughs> wow. wow. Why you just lord it over us, Dave? <laughs> I think I just did. I just, all right. Uh, but listen, you're going to want to get your uh, telephones or whatever you use, Skypeages or whatever you do, to call in your questions to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128, because today in the studio, we have two special guests. We have Elias Cairo from Olympia, uh, Olymp- Olymp- Olympia Provisions. I always want to say Olympic, and then you'll shoot me in the face. Uh, I'll, I'll support you. All right. <laughs> uh, in Portland, uh, we met how long ago? Like, but in the spring, six well, months ago. Yeah, yeah, at the uh, Oregon Truffle Fest, uh-huh. and I had the great good fortune of uh, going to a special dinner uh, at uh, at OP, and uh, fantastic. So I'll just say for those of you that are going to Portland, legit. I'm going to give it the the nice. cooking issues legit stamp. Awesome. Uh, and we also have in the uh, in the studio uh, Samantha. What's your last name, Samantha? Chulik. Chulik, and you are a, a food PR person, huh? That is correct. Wow, so what? So like, we're just going to get this out of the way now. So did you start out wanting to be a food PR person, or are you just a general... By the way, do you find the term flack offensive or not? <laughs> no, we're good. All right, so did you start out as kind of a general purpose flack, so you could either be selling thumbtacks <laughs> or food or cars, or are you one of these people that actually enjoys food? I Strictly food and beverage. All right, so you're, as, we, as we like to say, one of the good ones. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, like uh, in, in a lot of businesses, I'm serious. You know, Elias, you know what I'm talking about. It's like you get these people in there. They don't really care what the hell they're selling. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
Nice. It's like Dave over here. He doesn't care what he's recording. Just oh, vo- vo- so noise. <laughs> wow, is that really what you think of me? I'm just busting you because of the microphone crack, Dave. Come uh, on. You know it's all love in here. Uh, all, do, you, do you feel better now? All, <laughs> no, I feel slightly dirty. <laughs> um, so we got a bunch of uh, cool stuff. Uh, call, in, call in your questions, like I say. So you know, for those of you that don't know uh, Elias, he's like uh, uh, a hunter a cure master uh like uh you own these two restaurants right uh two real restaurants and then three fast casual like hot dog beer bar top places and then also wrote what is it now well wrote a billion years ago and then came out like a year and a half ago right (laughs) yeah yeah. it takes a billion years to write a book slowest thing i've ever done yes i'm just gonna get this out of the way right now my kids both my freaking kids (laughs) decide last week in the middle of me writing a book that has a lot of meat cookery, that this is going to be the time that they go vegetarian. Oof. You know what I'm talking about. It happens, right? Yeah. Uh, and so here it is. I'm like, you know, um, you, yeah, what am I going to eat? A whole freaking crown roast by myself? I'm going to eat like a, I'm going to do like a Chateaubriand for one? Like, <laughs> what, like what the heck am I going to do here? Invite you know? the neighbors over. Make good friends. Uh, yeah, but you know what? I'm just not like that. I'm not like that. So I don't know how it is in Portland. First of all, by the way, you guys uh, over there at Olympia Provisions, the only people in Portland who are guaranteed to be working at any given time. Am I right? <laughs> so true. Yeah, I mean, like, what is what is it with Portland and the lack of, like, work? They're there. They're, you just, not everybody moves to Portland to work. Some people move there just to retire. Enjoy the frickin' rain. But people are retiring when they're, like, 20. I know. A lot of them. I know. I, I get slack all the time for being hardworking. Yeah, yeah, good. yeah, yeah. N- Nastasia's got her Portland face on, which is, I can't believe nobody's working here. Why? Really, it's all <laughs> jealousy. It's like, why, did, why didn't we do this? Yeah. Uh, uh, but anyway, I don't know how we got. I don't know how we got on the subject of uh, working <laughs> oh, in, in, in yeah, working. In, 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 but anyway, so um, so yeah, so this book came out in uh, what the end of fifteen or something like that. Yeah, October. Um, yeah, so it's called uh, American Char- Equality. Well, how do you pronounce the title? American Charcuterie. Great question. Olympia. Do you start with the Olympia Provisions? I say Olympia Provisions, and then American Charcuterie Quality yeah. Meats. Yep. I say Cured Meats and Tails by Olympia Provisions from an American Charcuterie. Now oh, there you go. See how I had to read that. I like, I, I like that. But anyway, what I'm going to say about this book, and we actually talked about it a little bit in uh, Portland. Mm-hmm. It's a super pretty book. Like oh, I think thanks. it's like a really, really beautiful book. Uh, and um, what I and I mentioned this to you, and you actually said, I think, unless my memory is like zonked, I didn't have that much uh, sparkling <laughs> wine that day. That uh, you know, one of my favorite series of cookbooks in the world is the Time Life series of cookbooks mm-hmm. uh, that came out in, I guess, starting in the late '60s and going through the early '70s, where they go around the world. And the cool thing about it is, well, the cool thing now is you can get them for like two dollars a piece; they're still free. It's, they get the whole set. People go out right now, go on eBay, there get the whole set. A must have. Yeah, absolutely. must absolutely must have. And uh, they hired. Not that food photographers aren't real photographers. Please don't get me. I don't want to hear it. But they hired people who like were you know like for instance Sports Illustrated photographers or uh, you know general subject photographers. And so these books have some of the sickest photography mm-hmm. like anywhere. And so like a lot of the photos you have here have I mean they're modern. They're not from the seventies, sure. but they. Uh, you know, it's printed on that kind of matte paper, so it's got yeah. that awesome kind of flat feel to it. Totally. And, you know, you've got a lot of, like, you know, not straight recipe shots in yep. it. Totally. Um, and so, anyway, so I think it's a really, really, uh, uh, really beautiful book. Thank you. And I also, um, 
I like the way that it's uh, you know it's, per, it's it's also personalized. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it reminds me of like you know anyone who writes nowadays is going to be obviously more not that he wasn't technically minded. Don't get but like you know Bertoli's <laughs> book Cooking by Hand mm-hmm. right was I think an extremely personal book mm-hmm. that was tackling some technical subjects before anyone else had written on this on these kinds of subjects True. before. Uh, and I still think it's a, I mean, I haven't, okay, I haven't read it in over a decade. It's still but, such an amazing book. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, great book. But so like, you know, I really like books that are personal, but that tackle uh, like real issues uh, in the kitchen. And you can tell when you go through it that this is, you know, written, uh, you know, I know some of the recipes are yours, some are like, you know, pastry chefs, mm-hmm. some are a bunch of different people, but written by people who actually know what they're doing. It's Absolutely. not like you made this once and now you've written it down and that's it, which is, you know, an unfortunate yeah. thing cookbooks. Hey, speaking of reading, can you quickly read that thing I put in there? Oh, God dang it. What, the, pre- <laughs> the pre-roll ad? We're going to do some business? We got to do some business. Today's program is brought to you by Modernist Pantry, providing magical ingredients for the modern cook. For free videos, recipes, tips, and tricks, visit blog.modernistpantry.com. Uh, Back to your regularly scheduled program. Yeah. Nailed it! All right, let me, uh, let, Nastasia, let me see the book for a second. I want to read this quote that I think Nastasia is going to love the most out of the introduction because this is like this is what going back to like a, like a work ethic and, and Portland. So you grew you like grew up like a Greek family in freaking Utah, Salt Lake City. Sandy. What the heck's that all about? Oh, there's a lot of Greeks out there. Really? Yeah, yeah. Like the, it's the same climate as like the Spartan and Mountain Greeks. You really? know, sagebrush, cold winters. There's a ton of Greek, great Greek food. Really? Yeah, yeah. So my dad moved out there because copper mine the Kennecott copper mine was originally owned by a greek man and he brought all of his hard-working greek friends from the mountains to come mine it and then they came back and told their children how amazing salt lake city is at least that's how the story goes mm. and there's a ton of greeks and a ton of greek churches out there and yeah so greek food. So, so like uh, is, is, is there a big culture clash between like you know the greek orthodox and the mormon is there is there like yeah. A, a yeah you know like michelle and i and billy valamis if you're out there were the only three greeks in our elementary school and the rest were all lds lds wow. are beautiful beautiful people. There's a little quote in there, a little story in there that we got called to the uh, principal's office because uh, we stunk too much like garlic and the kids couldn't focus. And my father walked in and like super Greek, like, you know, thick accent and be like, your children smell like detergent and whipped us out of school. <laughs> and like, took us, like, it's like, you're not going there. We're teaching you in the rest of the year. We stayed at home and your children homeschooled. smell like detergent. Well, this is going to be apropos. So this is a quote of, about your dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, you know, you're, I guess, you know, uh, paraphrasing what he might say to you. Need glue? Go cut into the pine tree and mix the sap with sand to make it pliable. Oh, you were planning on buying glue? Are you lazy or just stupid? It's so true. Right? Yeah. And Nastasia, like now, Nastasia didn't know you, but now she loves you because that's like her, <laughs> that's her whole attitude. Yeah. Uh, her whole attitude on it. Also, another thing Nastasia's going to like about it, you spend some time cooking in Switzerland. Yeah. At this crazy, did you see this place, Nastasia? He worked at this restaurant mm-hmm. where it's like someone just, I don't know how the hell they got the, the building there, but it's like a carbuncle shoved onto the side <laughs> of a freaking mountain. Yeah. Uh, what's that? What's that place called? That one's called the Hotel Asher or Bear Restaurant Asher. It's an app and seller. It, yeah. It's just oh, wow. on the fucking level. So where, yeah. yeah. where is it? That's in the northeast corner of Switzerland. That's in the Canton app and seller. But that whole region is called St. Gala. So like uh, Austria, Germany, the Bodensee, what do you, uh, yeah, Lake Constance, all that right there. It's the mountains right above Which, there. How the hell do they get their? Fa- well, first of all, like where are their customers coming from? Yeah, like the Swiss are super hearty people and they love to eat when they're hungry. And so like the idea of going on an all day hike to eat 
eat like you know a huge smoked meat and a chunk of cheese and like some fruit is just what they love to do and like you'll be out there hiking thinking you're pretty cool and like a 70 year old grandma will fly by you just being like cruising up to the did you learn to yodel while you're over there no not very good i tried but nastasi and i both love the yodeling game on the price is right beautiful game yeah yeah yeah. remember that what were we who were we making fun of temperature you need to add that in your book the sous vide temperature like the yodel and then if you get the wrong temperature it's overcooked yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that's awesome and and we were trying to remember the tune i can never remember the tune Right, we we could never like for some yeah. reason it's one of the you know there's those tunes that just leave your head and you can't get them back in your head and then there's those tunes like the theme from Quincy that go into your head and you can't get them out of your head <laughs> three weeks later yeah 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 and <laughs> uh, you know or Rockford Files for that matter but Rockford Files I feel deserves to be in your head I mean you know Rockford Files and Sanford Son whenever those theme songs come into your head you're like all right it's a good day that's good fair that's that's, that's just good business uh, all right so before we get uh, too far in a uh, couple of bones I have to pick so we might as well fight about it now we're both Great. Of nitrate and uh, nitrites, obviously, mm-hmm. in curing, uh, and you make a lot of uh, amusing points about uh, you know not kind of worrying about it because a lot of people are worrying about, it, especially over probably on the West Coast, you get all the right all the time. Literally for everything, that yeah. voice. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like uh, <laughs> you know, the thing is, I, th- I think I've said this on air, but like uh, it's only been the last three years that people have gotten through my armor at events. Like usually, <laughs> I can maintain my kind of I'm happy to serve you customers always right kind of a thing mm-hmm. and it's only been the past couple of years that somehow it's just like too many hits and I'm like <laughs> I was like oh breathe <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah you do the breath breathe. yeah yeah and so Nastasia's like what the hell is that because I always ride her about it you know what I mean I always ride her like a pony for like for like showing her displeasure family in front show, of the family show what? Oh, well, not like that. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Dang, man, Dave. Gutter Dave. And, uh, Just trying to protect you. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Only recently I've been like, But the, uh, so, you say that it's 100% illegal to cure meats without, uh, you know, nitrates or nitrates, but super long cure stuff, like dry cure, like hams, like prosciutto de parma, you can mm-hmm. do without mm-hmm. nitrates. Not yes. that you need to, not that I think it makes it better, but the classic Italian one nowadays is made without that stuff. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, you can do anything legally if you have the hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend that it's a safe process. To prove it. Yeah, you got to sure. prove it. Yes. You got to prove it. But yes, in general, I think what you're like, what I think you're probably reacting to, and Harold McGee sent me an email. Uh, yeah, about Oscar Mayer now is doing their nitrate-free, nitrate-free yeah. hot dogs. Yeah, of course. Hot dogs. And it says, uh, cured, oh, see, the, only the nitrates, of course, this is the standard, only the nitrates naturally found in celery. Yeah. Jokers. Like they should be, everyone should be skewered. This is Whole Foods' fault, of course, a hundred percent. Absolutely, is, this is freaking Whole Foods' fault. You know, Samantha, you don't flack for them, do you? No, I don't. <laughs> All right, so like, like it's a hundred percent their fault. It's I, garbage. I mean, the, the food can be taste good, but the the, the labeling is garbage. Yeah. It's total smoke and mirrors, 100%. So everybody out there, I want you on all of your labels and in all of your food on your menu to write to write this. Contains no salt other than that naturally found in the ocean. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> yeah, and then you're like, oh, sea salt. Oh, yeah, you that know would what I mean? be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? You can beautiful. do it. Because it's the same freaking thing. You know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. It's like you take like eight billion. What do they do with the rest of the celery? 
well, they just puree it. So they, they load the they load the soil or chard or whatever they're using for their nitrate thing. They overload the manure with nitrate. Right. And so when the, the, the spinach or the chard's growing in that, it picks up all the extra nitrate, the exact same compound that is in regular nitrate. Then they puree it, and then they use that as their salt and their nitrate. It's just the same thing. Right. Total loophole. My favorite thing is I called Switzerland, right, where I did my apprenticeship, and I was like, hey, man, uh, you know, what are you guys doing about nitrate? Just total brain fart like they'd give a living shit about it. And they're like, hey, uh, what are you talking about? We give nitrate to our children when they're sick. <laughs> Like it's, it's it's good for you. It's a vitamin. I don't know what the hell's wrong with you Americans. And I'm like, I like, good good conversation. I'm yeah. gonna leave now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, but on the other hand, the Europeans have their own issues, right? I mean, Absolutely. like every place has its own issues. But before the uh, cooking issues, hey, Nastasia, flip through there and look at the. Do you see the hot dog picture? I yeah, think I, I bookmarked it. it. You want something about it? No, I just think it's like this is the kind of picture I like. <laughs> like Thanks. a bunch of hot dogs, and then like a couple pictures later, this this oh I know this uh, inn that's shoved into the side of a mountain. Uh-huh. So, question: How the hell do they get their food into that place? Depending on where, so that this place is pretty amazing. The one it's called the Asher is because they their whole thing is they have these two gigantic limestone water pits behind there that that's the only water they can get up there. So the the water filters through the cliffs and lands in these limestone pits. As soon as they're out of water, they're completely closed for the year, and then they go back to carrying meat, hunting meat, and raising meat. What do you think about that, Nastasia? That's awesome. Oh yeah, it's super. They're super freaking amazing. This place up there to put it into perspective with two cooks does about five hundred covers at lunch, and they do rosti, which is you know boiled potatoes and that you know now there's a tram it goes up the backside and they bring it across on mule um but still like the water and all the meat the father and son bring up on mule or like twice a year literal pack mule pack mule yeah the one the bigger one the one at the end of the roachstein pass the one where you see these these ibex there this is the path to it it's up like this cliff and you run across it that one the only way to get anything up there is with mule so everything is brought up on mule and they do uh, Steinbock pfeffer, which is those ibex that are soured like sauerbraten, and then they slowly braise it, and then they thicken it with blood, and so it makes it. Then they can it, and then they put it on the mules, and then they take it up top. And when you get up there, you're also going to have roshti, Steinbock pfeffer, applesauce, and sour cream. So, like, what's the portion size on that? It's Gigantic. Gotta, really? Oh, Come it's on. huge. Yeah, no, like a roshti. Go get a charcuterie board or a cheese plate at any one of these places, and it's like. For ten in America. Well, you hiked up the side of a freaking. You deserve mountain. it. <laughs> that's like uh, that's like I was talking to uh, a Sherpa, uh, and he was like, "I was like, yeah, how come you know you're Buddhist and everything, but you eat meat?" He's like, "You have we eat nothing but fat. We live at the top of a freaking <laughs> mountain. Imagine. Yeah, we need so many calories. A carrot after climbing Everest? No, <laughs> no. You pound yak and yak meat, <laughs> yak fat, yak butter, and yak milk. I was like, that makes total sense. Yeah. That totally. makes total sense to me. Yeah. So did you get to go hunting when you were in Switzerland or no? Yeah. The guy, so the guy that I worked with that I did my apprenticeship under was the Jägermeister of the Valley. So he owned this hotel and butcher property. By the way, people, that means hunt, hunting master, yeah, not exactly. the liqueur not the, of he the same name. the liquor master we got to drink. No. Yeah. He, so if you wanted to shoot an animal in our valley, you had to go to Bjerger and ask him if there was any unhealthy animals. Could you hunt it? Where should I do it? And after you shot the animal, you'd bring it to our restaurant and our butcher shop and we'd process it for you. You know, there was tons of different ways we could process sell it back to you buy it off you use it in the restaurant but we would cure and ferment and make all of our meat out of like you know two to three hundred wild animals a month um so the jägermeister is literally like a traffic cop for shooting animals exactly and he knows where they're all at so like every single day he's up super early with binoculars like just scoping for animals and he took me uh, a couple times with him i was never able to kill an animal but like after year three of me like cutting up animals and working my ass off he's like tomorrow we go hunting and i was like holy shit so like, wait, wait, is he like, take the one with the busted horn. It's not so good in the picture. <laughs> yeah, is that exactly. what he's like? But he's like it's like the sick ones. 
Um, you know, they don't shoot young ones. Like, there's a story here in there where he shot his first elk. It's very hard to find elk up there. And so that's very small herds. And he got an elk from his, like, all the other Jägermeister's men. So there's this young elk coming up. You follow it until it's sick and you kill it. And he followed it for 14 years. And he kept every one of its sheds. So every time it shedded every year, he followed it. And then he finally shot it stuck in a snowbank. So, like, it was on its deathbed, and he's like, I think the other Jaeger's like, he was actually in Austria across from Switzerland. He's like, I see your elk, Berger, come shoot. <laughs> <laughs> so, I like that voice, even though they're yeah, German. I, I but, like uh, that. <laughs> so, wait, so here's, here, so they're predominantly hunting older animals then. Yeah. So, how's that for cooking? It's, it's musky, but I love that. Like, I, I like game funk, you know? Have you been to uh, the Spanish people who do the raised super old cows? Like, no. you know, Jeffrey Steingarten and Harold McGee were like, oh, oh, the seven-year-old cows, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they don't talk like that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> but like, man, man, man. I'm, I'm Jeffrey Steingarten, man, man, man. Uh, but uh, the uh, – no, but I mean like, you know, it's this, it's this thing in Spain. Obviously, everyone in America shies away from old meat in mm-hmm. general. Um, but I mean just from a cooking standpoint, so are you – I mean do people respond to the different texture well over there? Or like when you're cooking for an American, you can't really translate that kind of a no, recipe. Totally. Yeah. I mean like the, an old – like a, a five-year-old Ibex liver, for example, and you would eat liver all – like the wild animal liver is so sought after. You're not serving that to anybody in America. No. They're like – they're t- they're taking a bite of that. And like, oh, I know like uh, Americans who won't eat deer liver over a year old. Right. You know what I mean? Like they're like, you know – No. God, I love deer liver. I know. But you're absolutely right. Like, I mean you'll, you'll, you'll see people hunting that leave two-thirds of the animal out there and you're just like, yeah, in Europe that does not ride. You're never going to stumble upon like a half-clean carcass. It's like whole animal brought out, everything utilized, everything enjoyed, very, very much so. Right, so, by the way, do you do any low temperature cooking with with hunting? You ever pull out a circulator and, and bust no, it down? No, no? I'm, so, I'm so old school. I don't even know what a like a circulator is. Oh, like, I don't, everything oh. I make takes like you know natural fermentation. I know it's amazing. People do God's work with those things. I just don't know how. Well, I'm I mean, like, the, the interesting thing is, I never have access to really old old meat. So I'm curious about it. Like the you know, I've cooked super old meat. Um, only occasionally and you only get mm-hmm. it from like weird people and there, there was this guy in Chicago who used to sell uh, that kind of meat but I since found out that he uh, basically not only should he go to prison he did go to prison for doing like illegal uh, animal practices so I don't buy from him anymore probably a good idea yeah you know what I mean <laughs> uh, but anyway so yeah. Yeah. Well, I can hook you up. I'll, I, I can find old meat for you. For sure. I have a big elk hunt coming up this spring that I'm looking to get like a, an old bull elk. So, so if are, I get one. Are people worried with older elk now about chronic wasting or is that people not worry about that anymore? Or like? I haven't had anybody worry about it in a long time. So, yeah. yeah nice. I mean, I'll, I'll shoot an old elk. See, I get cow tags, right? Every every year, that's where you shoot the female cow. And I usually use those for my meat at home. And that's very often ethically thought they kill the calves the very young baby elk or a cow and they like that because it's like the veal of it and i've never been able to do that yet to shoot like a, a six-month-old elk i always shoot the mom elk now from an ethics standpoint is that if you're shooting the young one it's like well he had a bad shot anyway it's like he was gonna die maybe anyway <laughs> yeah. so kill him now yeah i think ethically people are trying to justify i don't know why i try to get the most amount of meat out right. of animals that i kill uh is that if you kill their mom the calf's probably gonna die too so yeah. you just have, you have to spend a lot of time like making sure that the the calf that you're about or excuse me the the cow that you're about to kill isn't about to you know doesn't have a calf right and then you're feeling good about it 
Right. It, well, it also, like, I think people would be shocked. I looked at the numbers a long time ago, but in the East Coast, in hunting areas, mm-hmm. like, the the percentage of deer that deer now, because they don't have anything else here, right? Mm-hmm. But the percentage of deer that are going to end up, on, you know, in a hunter's plate is extraordinarily high, right? I mean, like... I mean, like, it's more than you'd think. Oh, out here, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah I like, mean, it's a three-day season and, like, 4,000 elk get, or deer get killed in a day or something yeah, it's like, like that. That's you insane. Know, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, speaking of hunting, so you, yeah. you have brought something. I did. I'm super happy about this. We, I do a lot of bird hunting in Oregon, and we talked about it lately, and I know that you wanted to get back into bird hunting at some point in your life. Um, and well, I, I want to try. I've never gotten to do it. I've always oh, wanted to. You've never done it either. No, I've oh always wanted God. to. Get well, it's not point. true. In Italy once, in Italy... I went on a BS pheasant hunt. It was, oh. it was, they're fake. It's fake. Planted pheasants and bird dogs. Yeah, it's fake. Yeah, it's I didn't feel so good about it. I ate the bird. It's delicious meat. Yeah, and yeah. And you're still going to shoot a gun at a bird. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you know, but, you know, it's not hunting, right? Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's more, I think it's more for training the dogs and then getting the, the rifle ready to, or like your shotgun good at shooting. I, I utilize it once a year. Yeah. Like this, right at the beginning, I try to tune my dogs up and. This dog in Italy was like so stupid too. It was the dumbest. <laughs> it's the like, worst. It was like it was like at the very beginning of the season, and we weren't like their real customers, and so they were testing out like their new dog on us. <laughs> and so, Nastasia, these people are gonna like call. This is how this works, though. People they they take and they just they disorient the pheasant so that it doesn't immediately take off. Right? Oh, wow, that is really. And then they put it in a bush. No. You know what bush it's in. Right? They tell you where it's at. Even. Well, in this scenario, they were shooting it for something, <laughs> oh, like okay. you know, and then and then the then they let go of the dog, and the dog's just sitting there scratching its ear, no. like, <laughs> and they're like, uh, "Hey, Fido," you know, and they're Fido. like, yeah, "Go Flush over, you know, yeah," and like I don't know what they call dogs, and uh, it's when we were shooting a uh, oh. we were shooting a piece on uh, ancient. Um, ancient cooking techniques and they wanted us to g- actually go get the animals even though it was Roman even though the Romans actually would have raised their pheasants in captivity mm-hmm. and just broken their necks and not there wouldn't be all this like you know buckshot yeah not obviously. a lot of shotguns in Roman era right? not too many yeah. you know what I mean uh, you know and you know I doubt the average Roman was sitting there like you know hurling rocks at pheasants to try to get yeah I mean like you know this is a sophisticated group of people and they you know they had you know they raised pheasants and they, you know they definitely I'm sure the Romans if they were going to train their dogs, would have done a better job. To catch the pheasant. Yeah, and so, like, they, they started chucking things towards the bush to get the dog to look at the bush. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. It's so depressing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then finally, you know, um, we're sitting there, and we're like, oh, and then it takes off. It was a good bird. tasted good, although I forget. You're going to have to. So what do you have here? Show me the bird you had. Yeah, you brought I got, here. I got you a chucker, and this is a true wild Oregon chucker knot. So the, these, when you shoot these, they're up on the rim rock way above, like, the rivers, like the John Day. This one came off of the John Day, and they're... Um, non-native to Oregon, but they're the most amazing game birds. So, so they, they called. So they're invasive. Uh, they're not invasive. They plant them for. They planted them for game birds. You know, twenty years, thirty years ago, and, they and now they've just done amazing. So, and so, so how do they taste relative to like? Uh, so the size here. They're bigger than a pigeon. They're, squ- they're squabbish size. They're, they're squabbish, slightly larger. They're about you know a little bit smaller than a good grouse or a rough grouse, um, but they are very plentiful and they're amazing. They live up in the sagebrush, and so they eat a lot of sage, and so their flavor picks up like that real wild sagebrush Ooh, nice. flavor. Pass it over. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're super fun, and they're like one of the hardest game birds to shoot. Like they, your dog will point them maybe sometimes a half a mile out, 
and uh, you know you'll you'll get up on your dog and you'll know which direction they're going to fly, and twenty to thirty of them are flush, and you'll miss all of them. And then you know one out of ten you'll probably hit. Okay, so I'm looking at this bird here. I'm uh-huh. terrible at plucking birds, by the way. Yeah, I'm just terrible Perfect at. Perfect time to start. Yeah, but <laughs> you should we we're not going to pluck this right now, are we? Like no, it, it's on a game bird, right? So I know like I know like on like a, I've done pheasant not just in that time in Italy, but in France. You know, you go mm-hmm. to France and you can buy pheasant on the mm-hmm. you know on the feather or whatever they call yeah. it feathered mm-hmm. uh, in the you know GBA shops. You know what I mean? Yep. Or and uh, you go there. And once those feathers set, man, plucking oh, is a nightmare. Brutal. Yes. Is this, this going to be a similar it's, situation? You know, chucker, like those desert birds, chucker, quail, grouse, and all the ones that have more fat live in a burlier from hot to cold climate are much easier to pluck than pheasants. Pheasants are the most difficult bird to pluck in the whole world. Very, like, they're just horrible. I ruined weak the skin. Animals. Oh, yeah. I ruined the skin. Totally. Yeah, depending on that one, looks like we shot it pretty good. So I don't see many bullet holes Where in it. Where is it? Where is it shot? It looks like it's like in the neck and the wing right there. Mm-hmm. And that could have been a runner. Like I could have, I could have winged it, which is ideal. And then the dog grabs it and brings it to you. But yeah, you know. Now, do you don't hang these things until they start stinking? You're not one of those kind of guys. Are you? This, is, this is why I brought you this one. Uh, I'm not. I'm usually not. But I was hunting with this guy, and we had like one of those great days where we each got like our limit, which is 15 of those birds in a day. It was an amazing, amazing day. And he told me that he enjoys the flavor of freezing them whole with the guts in them. And so that's what we got and here. And I have three of them that I haven't ate still cool. in my life. Cool. And there's a so all the, like this is how he does it. He loves the flavor more, and he's like oh, an epic hunter, and he, he cooks really, really well. Well, so he doesn't dress it out. He doesn't dress it. it. He, no, he he'll he will he'll just freeze it all like this. Let the flavors develop in his freezer. Then he plucks it and then draws all the guts out, and then he roasts it or cooks it further. So he does draw it before he before he, he cooks it. Yeah, before he cooks. Yeah, it. do that for so sure. So it's not like it's not like a mm-hmm. like a remember that remember that. Yeah. Uh, the woodcock we had. Oh, that people hang with the guts in. Oh my god, it's it not was bueno. it was the most disgusting. I, I liked it. I liked eating it, but for Nastasia, watching her face <laughs> was the most dis. The way he ate it, this stuff was flying on my face too. It was yeah. disgusting. So when you're hunting a small <laughs> bird, right? Yeah. I th- the flavor probably changes a lot depending on what you puncture, right? Yeah, totally. well, the the biggest flavor I always say about like the grouse is the best. You know, grouse live in the forest, the sagebrush. Excuse me. So, like, you know, uh, chuckers and other desert Hungarian partridge live in the sage. They pretty much have one diet. But a grouse, like a mountain grouse, in the spring eats berries, and then once it gets into later in the fall, it eats like rosehip and gooseberry, and then in the midwinter, it eats pine. Like pure pine lives off pine and juniper berries, and that's the biggest flavor difference. Because you can see it. when you open up that bird, you open up its crop right here. You'll see what it's been eating. So this one should be full of sage and seed. Cool. And what do you do? You cut here and clean out, and then you do the triangle by the butt and rip the stuff out. Just exactly, like a, just yep. like a smaller version of a chicken. Absolutely, one hundred percent, exactly, just <laughs> like that. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. Uh-huh. All right, well, we'll post some pictures. It looks like you got clipped on the back a little bit. There huh? it goes. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's where it was at. But you know, then again, I haven't ever. I've never frozen a full bird and ate it myself, so it'll well, be. We'll, we'll give we'll, some, we'll, give some, and luckily this is a you know a serving size for one, so my kids are just <laughs> vegetarian won't have to worry about yeah. it. Well, thanks so much. Of course, yeah. This is awesome. I've never been. No one's ever brought a uh, a whole like bird on the feather yeah. to uh, to cooking issues before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess we should answer some high tech. Dave, we got. You want to take call? a yeah? You want to take a call? Yeah, as many as we got. We got some caller. You're on the air. What do you got? Hi, Dave. This is Colton from Vail, Colorado. How you doing? Doing well. How are you guys? All right. Um, okay. So first of all, uh, 
big fan of the show and big fan of Liquid Intelligence. I actually use that book a lot more in the kitchen than I do for cocktails. But anyway, great book. Thank you. Um, so I got a couple questions. First one is on Ultratex. Okay. Um, Why are you using so text at, and not Spurs, by the way? I'm sorry? Why are you using text and not Spurs? Um, it's just what we have at the restaurant I work at. All right, go um, ahead. But anyway, um, so we make a spinach puree at the restaurant, and we've been having trouble keeping it green for more than a day. Right. Um, and one of my chefs said that what he usually does and what usually works for stuff like that is pureeing the spinach, the blanched and shocked spinach, with a little bit of ascorbic acid, um, Ultratex, and a touch of, like, some neutral cooking oil. Um, but I don't... After all the research that I've done, I can't find a reason why that would work. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Any advice? No, I don't. I'll say this. So Ultratex for... Uh, by the way, I would switch to Spurs. Uh, but, okay. like, Ultratex is a, um, a pre-cooked... Uh, starch, right? So, right. you know, so what it has the ability to do that a regular starch wouldn't have the ability to do is absorb liquid. So basically what you're doing is just um, you're just sequestering some of the liquid in with the starch. So maybe that's helping you out a little bit. It's also going to help uh, run out on the puree. So I don't know if it's going to help with the greening, but it's going to help uh, with that gross runoff that Spinach puree has. We're all, you, you know what I'm talking okay. about? You all know what I'm talking about, right? That when why you, you squeeze oh, yeah. it so hard. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. why you squeeze the ever-loving hell out of it. Uh, and, right. that's, and that squeeze water also is an ugly color, typically, yeah. in my Absolutely. experience. Um, right. The, the reason I switched to Spurs is um, Spurs is what's called – it's the same product as, uh, as Ultratex, but it's – Pre-agglomerated, so it's like uh, it, it. It looks more like uh, it looks more like uh, like Bisquick or something. It dissolves easier. Uh, not that you're going to have that much problem with clumping in spinach puree, but if you were to throw it in pure water, it would. Uh, ascorbic acid is going to prevent uh, any enzymatic action, but the thing you have to worry about with acids is too much acid, and you'll start destabilizing the chlorophyll. Um, right, but I don't know. I don't know, uh, Elias. You got any good keeping spinach puree tricks, old school? Yeah, I just yeah, I, I puree it in a blender to keep it really, really cold with ice. Yeah, keep so it. So I just cold. squeeze it. Then, yeah. like if I do a spinach puree, just blanch it instantly, shock it, squeeze the hell out of the water, add the cooked shallots, puree it, just barely in a Vitamix, and then put it instantly on ice. Yeah, just I think keeping the, it cold. I think the key yeah. for me, the key is to squeezing. Yeah, get I, the water out. Yeah, and like I'm talking like. Do you do the towel thing? Yeah, dude, I yeah. got it because it's just going to turn to yeah. water and run it. Yeah. yeah, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, you put it in the towel and then you twist the towel and twist it and twist it yep. and twist it. And twist for it. Style. Yeah, yeah, and it <laughs> and it just you know all that liquid comes out. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe right. like, do you get a lot of uh, if, if you squeeze the hell out of it, you still getting a lot of synergies, a lot of liquid coming out of it. Uh, no, it's pretty. Yeah, sometimes you can squeeze it so hard, at least for the blender, you have to add a little bit of water. You yeah, know I mean so. Uh, so, but you you find that uh, your chef's recipe is working for you or not working for you? You just want um, to know the mechanism. Yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of wanted to prove him right or prove him wrong. <laughs> I mean, the, the best way to prove the best way to prove something right or something wrong is offline at home. Make it a different way. Keep it for however long and bring it in and be like, "Hey, chef, I'm, I made this. What do you think?" 
and then see what they yeah. see what they say. I mean, the worst way to do it is to change the way it's done on the line. Yeah, that's the absolute worst thing you can do. Go time and like uh, right. Yeah, yeah, but like you know, any. I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and say, say – I'm going to say this and see, Elias, what you think is that if you do something on your own time with your own product and it's good and you bring it in and your chef doesn't have – doesn't – won't respect that and take a look at it, maybe you should be working for a different chef. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's got to be a creative conglomerate. You know, it's like fun. I love when anybody comes in. I mean I, mean, I make what – 7,000 pounds of sausage a day and I still listen to people salami about the technique that I use. If they have an idea of how to make it more uniform, let's talk. I right. Especially if someone proves it. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. I'll take any dogma that I'm running down for years. You you show me that, that there's a better way. I will adopt it immediately. Absolutely. And I think that's a sign of... Uh, I mean, in, in any field, that's a sign of intelligence. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, I think it's, you know, it becomes problematic when if someone goes so hard on dogma, especially like in print and on TV, that it becomes hard for them to change. But that's when you you can tell if someone's a real like, you know, if they're really hardcore about what they do and not just about being who they are. You know so what I mean? True. Absolutely. Then yeah. they'll they'll change. So anyway, let, do some experiments and shoot us back and t- say, what, you know, tell us what you find out. Dave, you got any uh, spinach freaks on the uh, on the chat room? Don't uh, know let me check and get back to you. Speaking of uh, like uh, tips and tricks, uh, I, I we had a walnut question in a couple of weeks ago hmm. about how to get easily get the skin, the tannic skin off of a walnut. Mm-hmm. Now you can buy non-tannic walnuts. I don't know where they get them. Harold McGee gets good ones. I haven't spoken to him yet, whether he has any tips. But I said I was going to talk to a guy whose grandpa was a walnut farmer, but it turns out he doesn't grow walnuts. He only grows almonds or hmm. almonds, as he calls almonds. them. Almonds. <laughs> and uh, it's unfortunate because he would have had the, this guy uh, like, you know, 60 years ago was in an airplane accident he was flying he lost his leg and one eye Whoa. And yeah and he's like still like an almond farmer so i figured if anyone knew how to do it but you know it's easy to get this not easy it's a pain in the butt but it's technically easy to get the skins off of an almond yeah. but uh mm-hmm. walnuts i don't know i mean can you blanch a walnut yeah, blanch them and totally. do the towel rub yeah blanch them then re-roast them and then chop them and then do the, the sieve and try to get the skin through the of course sieve is the way i do it and it's still not like a perfectly right peeled. and you can't get the, i don't forget whether this person wanted whole halves mm. there's i mean that's the, the good thing about an almond is you can get the skin off of it and still have it be in beautiful shape beautiful shape yeah you know what i mean uh, but the good thing about nuts that I think people, as long as you don't soak the bejesus out of them, mm-hmm. uh, such that you're actually leaching a bunch of flavor out of them, they can take a good number of like get it wet, get it dry, get it wet, get it dry. I mean, they're pretty. Totally. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially you just trade that off with a walnut. Like if you hate how a tannic almond or you know all, or a walnut does your tongue and makes it all fucked up, blanch it for a second. Then roasted, at least you'll get all that bitters out yeah, of it yeah. in the tan. Right, because all that stuff is is A on the outside and mm-hmm. B water soluble. Exactly. That's a good tip right there. Hey, look at that. For a sausage maker, I know way around a nut. Just do good, just do it. <laughs> well, uh, so do you do that to the, do you do the walnut and sausage thing? I do it in pate, like once or twice a year. Yeah, like I'll make a, a, a walnut pate for sure with the cello and whatnot. I think they're delicious, especially oh. with game birds. Huh? When you serve a pate, uh-huh. Like, what do you think about? Remember, like, man, my five or six years ago, or maybe even longer now, ten years ago. The, like, the big thing, not on pate. Let's go to foie gras straight, right? Mm-hmm. The big chunk. Now, I have to say, are you a hot or a cold? If you could choose only one, would you choose hot or cold? Foie gras. Yeah, that's a tough one, huh? I'm gonna go cold because I can have it in more places. Ninety nine out of a hundred chefs do that, but I just love hot that's so much. Too. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, what about you, Stas? Cold. Cold. Mm-hmm. Samantha. 
play cold too. Ninety nine out of hundred. I'm like, <laughs> I actually really like the old school, like just quick sear, yeah. like lightly, lightly warm in mm-hmm. the middle. Like maybe some like you know maybe some you know peach yeah crunchy salt or something yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah that's anyway awesome. so <laughs> you want to take a quick break well one second so like one thing that <laughs> makes me upset is sorry, like sorry. when you don't serve the when you don't serve it with any form of like no no acidic accompaniment and no crunchy starch. I need an acidic accompaniment, yeah. and I need a crunchy starch pate as well. Like, I want give me some sort of bread. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially like, to, but like, have you seen? Have you noticed this? Where like someone will give you a big plate of of like either pate or something, and then nothing, nothing to break up the the, the unctuousness. Absolutely, no. Yeah, you got to have crunchy bread or good bread or baguette for a pate. An old school French chef shall remain nameless. It was Alain Sayac. Uh, he, I, I once, he, he, they used to do a country pate at the French Culinary Institute. And I like country pates, like the next guy. And they would put the little cornichon, right? Which I kind of like cornichon. I'm going to set to go say, I'm going to say I kind of like cornichon. They're not my favorite pickle. pickle. I mean, I, the texture is bad, right? Yeah, cornichon, the texture is bad. Yeah, they, they're, they're a good crunch, but there's better crunches out there. Yeah, much better crunches. I mean, the cucumber didn't want to be murdered at that age. It wanted to grow bigger. Yeah, it wanted to be more of a pickle. It's like, it's like the baby corn is, is garbage. I mean, like, yeah, I that's, like... That's a true fact. Yeah, yeah, I like the way they look, kind of, like, theoretically, but it's garbage. It's a garbage it's like product. Nothing. It's a garbage product. Yeah, that's it's true. a garbage product. Uh, so the... What do you think, Stas? You hate that stuff, right? I hate baby corn. Hate baby corn. <laughs> so, uh, Samantha? I agree. Dave? Yeah, not a fan. Yeah, okay. Stop! Stop putting those things in cans. First of all, like, what do they? Where do they get? I mean, like, that's true. Maybe a really good baby corn is delicious, but I've never had that. I've I ripped one right it. off of a stalk once, and I was like, "This is garbage," and I boiled <laughs> it. I was like, "Anyway," but so that—that's not the point. That's not the point. Uh, so I was like, "Hey, chef, uh, you know what would be good?" And he serves with bread because, come on, he's an old school French guy. I was like, "I really like like a coarse grain mustard with my country pate." He's like. <sighs> American and walked away. Yeah. That's what he said. I was like, "What? Get out of here!" It's Mustard's the, good. Yeah, come on. You, you just got to. You, you always have to remember. You just got to make people happy. If they want to freaking catch up on it, and that's the way that they enjoyed my pate. More to you, right? But I'm not going to do it. I'm right, not right. Touch the stuff. But, but I mean, like you know, like don't you think that don't you think that a coarse grain mustard is a better acidic slash pungent accompaniment to a country pate than a freaking cornichon, no matter how French it is? Absolutely. They're uh, uh, whole whole grain mustards on every charcuterie board that I sell at every one of my places, no thank, matter what. Thank you. <laughs> Thank God. It just, it's perfect. It goes with everything. Yeah, Versal, right? It's bright. It tastes good. All right. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more uh, Elias Cairo and more cooking issues. This episode is brought to you by Joule, the immersion circulator for sous vide by Chef Steps. If you're listening to this show, you're probably a pretty good cook. Maybe you already know that sous vide is the best way to get a kick-ass, juicy steak. And with Joule, a new sous vide tool from Chef Steps, you can do so much more. Smoky tender ribs, homemade yogurt, creme brulee, bright crunchy pickles, vibrant purees, even smooth creamy ice cream, all perfectly cooked every time. Joule is sleek and small enough to fit in your kitchen drawer, and it's operated by an elegant smartphone app that's been designed to remove the guesswork, get you cooking faster, and give you the information and inspiration you want when you want it. 
Browse Chef Steps' amazing recipes and helpful guides. Choose your perfect doneness for any meat and get notified when your food is ready. You know you'll get great results, so you can focus on sides and sauces. Or just pour yourself a cocktail and chill until you're ready for a delicious dinner. For more information and to order yours now, visit chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. Trooper, premium British beer, handcrafted by Robinson's Brewery in Cheshire, England, and created by Iron Maiden. That's what we're going to be having with our lunch date. I mean, like, Nastasi, where did this beer come from? I have no idea. You just brought it. It was like, this is ridiculous. All right, so I'll give you some props if you can tell me why Iron Maiden is a particularly, for, for someone like me, uh, an important metal band. Bass? Why? I don't know. Man played with three fingers. He only had three fingers? No. He played with, in other words, like the typical bass player plays with two fingers. Oh. Like, thump, thump, thump. He was like, mm-hmm. Man, what's wrong with you? You know what I mean? How do you not? <laughs> what are you doing all day not knowing that? What are you doing? <laughs> Fail. Dave, what do you think about it? As a music guy, what are, what are your thoughts? Do you ever listen to that stuff? They're great, yeah. Do you like you know, like those ori- the original t shirts with uh, what's his name? Eddie, right? Yeah. Like the, they're like fantastically expensive now. Yeah, yeah I'm not surprised. Yeah. There's like a weird vintage rock tea market. I know. It's crazy. You know, those things were unconscionably expensive at the time they were new. They should go way down in value. That should be the that should be the purchase that you get slapped for later and you're like, I can't believe I spent forty dollars on that concert t shirt. But now you're sitting pretty. Now you're sitting pretty. It's like old programs. It's like I have the original seventy seven Star Wars program and apparently that's uh, worth something. Uh anyways. Did you spend forty bucks for that program? No, I spent like I think it might have came with the ticket. There you go. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I was a little young. I don't know. Back then, your parents just paid for crap, and you didn't know. You know what I mean? Uh, so, Dave, you want me to do this business before we get back into real stuff? Yes, please. This is what we call people the mid-roll ad, even though it's coming at the end of the show. It's this is the mid-roll ad. Well, I have no control over that, but you do. Ooh, <laughs> are we getting back? We're getting back into this day. It's, it's testy day. Uh, Modernist Pantry was created by food lovers and cooking issues fans just like you. Janie, Chris, and the Modernist Pantry family share your passion for experimentation and have everything you need to make culinary magic happen in your own kitchen. Professional chef, home cook, food enthusiast, no matter what your skill or experience, Modernist Pantry has something for you. They make it easy to get the ingredients and tools you need and can't find anywhere else, so you can spend less time hunting and gathering, although you would hate that. Yeah, she doesn't want to hunt and gather. <laughs> right. Uh, and more time creating memorable dishes and culinary experiences. Visit ModernistPantry.com today to discover why Cooking Issues listeners call Modernist Pantry the cook's secret weapon. Be sure to check out their new kitchen alchemy. It's not really new anymore, Dave. It's like, you know... Anyway, uh, be sure to check out their Recent. new Kitchen Alchemy blog at blog.modernistpantry.com for free recipes, tips, and tricks. And don't forget to follow Modernist Pantry on social media to keep up with what's new and exciting in the world of culinary ingredients and tools. Great. Nailed it again. Nailed. Nailed it. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Should we do it? We got any more callers? Yeah, there? we got one more caller. Let's do it. Caller, we're on the air. Hey, Dave. How's it going? This is Jason from Atlanta. How you doing? How's Atlanta? Good. I'm doing well. I hear it's like 8 billion right degrees now. down there. Yeah. You like coming by your hot Atlanta name properly now. <laughs> Yeah, people who actually live in Atlanta don't actually call it Hotlanta. That's just the outsiders. Yeah, well, I am, in fact, an outsider. Do you not listen to Ludacris if you're actually from Atlanta, or do you do that? Well, who doesn't? Oh, there you go. Okay. You go. All right. All right. So, so what's question up? About the, question about fish sauce. So I'm looking to make my own fish sauce, um, and I was wondering if there's a reason why traditionally uh, oily fish are used, anchovies and sardines, and would it still work uh, with pretty much any other kind of fish, maybe even lake fish, perch? Trout, um, anything. Is there a limitation as to 
what fish you should and shouldn't use. Okay, so I'm going to weigh in for a second, and I'm sure Elias has some stuff to say about this, you know, with the, the Greekness will come in at a certain <laughs> point. So right. uh, here's the thing, like, typically fish sauce is made with, like, fish that you gather kind of in abundance and you aren't cooking as a whole kind of a, a fish, and so, like, a, you gather lots of these oily fish, like, you get lots of mackerel, you get lots of, lots of sardines, mm-hmm. you get lots of anchovies, right. uh, and so I think that's, like, one of the reasons, but they're classic ones that are made with squid, and that's not oily, mm-hmm. uh, made with the guts, um, Right. You get ones that are made uh, – I mean typically, you know, most traditional recipes are built around a less waste phenomenon. And so like anything that you would like stake out or cook, you wouldn't turn into a, a, a fish sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and, and there are some fish sauces like the famous uh, – what well, the garum, which is the Roman one, changed a lot depending on what grade you were buying and what era of the Roman Empire you're dealing with. But like one of the high grades at a certain time was all guts. So it's just, you know, mackerel guts. Yeah. Do you have any experience making – do you ever make fish sauce? I've never made fish sauce, no. You should make it. Stuff's delicious. Wow, Stinky. Totally, yeah. Delicious. Yeah, but I love it, so I should make it. I can't yeah. believe I've made it. Yeah. So the bottom line is, yes, it should work with pretty much any fish. Yes, I would say it would work with a lot of fish. Uh, there are some people who believe, and I've never done the test, that uh, the smaller fish have a good uh, gut to meat ratio, and that it's the uh, it's the okay. it's the guts that are like kickstarting all of that like stuff Fermented that's going on. I've heard people say that. Mm-hmm. Do I have any experience? I don't. Mm-hmm. That you makes know? sense. Okay. Yeah. And w- any any idea of using? Um, I guess more specifically to the Ishiri uh, squid-based fish sauce, if using frozen squid uh, would be a problem. I think it should not be a problem, but most of the, most of the squid that I buy that's frozen is cleaned already. Do you have a source yeah, you of... Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, you might be right. I mean, like, the best thing to do is if you get squid is, like, clean them, scrape all the cleaning stuff into the bucket to make your fish sauce, and then, yeah. you know, do your do your whatever you're doing. With the, are you a fan, uh, Elias, of turning the squid inside out before you stuff it? Where you take the you take the mantle and you flip it inside out so that when it cooks, mm. it like squeezes into the stuffing. Yeah, I've never done that. Yeah. I stuff a lot of squid. I always pipe it into the squid. Right. Well, this old French guy, uh, he used to like before he he would do that, but before he'd do it, he would turn it inside out, and he said he would get a tighter. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I can't wait to try that. Yeah, give it. Let me know. It's yeah. a, a chef Didier. We used to at uh, forget his last name. French guy. Yeah. Anyway, okay. uh, yeah, but, well, but, but listen, let us thanks, know what's uh, going on. Thanks, I w- Dave. I'll, I'll give the um, fish sauce a try using some, uh, some fish I can catch. And uh, by the way, I'm with you on the foie gras, hot all the way. There you go. There you Someone, someone's got to agree <laughs> with me at some point. He's the 1%. Thanks, all right, thanks. Uh, let us know how the fish sauce goes. Um, do you, how do you start the fermentation on a fish sauce? Just freaking just, salt. Just salt and just leave it in there. No mother, nothing. Just it just ferments on its own. Naturally, yeah. it gets crazy. I mean, sour. that's... Uh, we Look, uh, we started making it once for the same thing I was telling you about. We were in Italy. We were doing the Roman thing. <laughs> and we just hacked them up and then, like, put salt in. Yeah. Uh, and now... Uh, but... Uh, I've never, like, made it through from beginning to end, but mm-hmm. there's a bunch of people now who have done it and made some really high kind of grade, hmm. uh, high grade fish sauce. I love fish sauce. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Fish sauces, and I'm going to be using a lot more of it now because the kids are pescatarian now. Oh, so we'll see how long this lasts, right? Take the bird. Maybe they'll want some bird. I'm going to eat the whole bird. But kids, <laughs> you know what? Here's the thing. Like, I feel that, like, if you make that choice, I'm like, hey, you made that choice. It's true. That's your choice. Yeah, I went vegetarian for a while for a skateboard. My skateboard broke in Salt Lake, and I didn't have any money. And my bud, I ate so much meat being Greek. And they're like, if you go a week without eating meat, 
will uh, buy a skateboard. And so I like took the bet, and then I got a girlfriend who was vegetarian in that week, and I was vegetarian for like three months. Wow, it's pretty impressive. Wow. So then, then as soon as that relationship ended. Back to the meat, lamb rib. Was it part of the? Was that part of the reason the relationship ended, or no? No, she just didn't like me anymore. Wow. <laughs> well, because you were spending too much time skateboarding. Exactly. So you're young. So what's that dish? What's that Greek dish? The uh, spit roast lamb intestines, where you wrap all the intestines around the spit and then you like cook it like a big party food. What's that called again? Yeah, I don't know what it's called, but yeah, it's delicious. Absolutely. You ever make that stuff? Yeah, well, I make it with goat. Yeah, where we restuff the, we take out the goat carcass, we debone it, and then we restu- we chop up the intestines with the liver, the heart, and the kidney. Quickly saute, season that, and then put it inside of the wrapped goat, and then fire roast the whole thing. That's delicious. Oh, here's a question for a couple questions. One, uh-huh. I noticed in your book, I know Nastasia noticed this. I, I think I bookmarked the page. Your porchetta is not what we would call a porchetta. It's more of like a whole. Yeah, that's like, what I call a porchetta. Yeah. Looked good. You see that stuff? Oh, I want the whole pig. It's like yeah. stuff. With, yeah. but like so, uh, you know, I'm obsessed with this Colombian dish. But instead of a meat stuffing, it's meat and rice stuffing. Oh yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Crispy, you know, crispy pork skin plus anything, basically. Totally. Yeah. Win. Yeah, absolutely. Win. Yeah, and that's the big challenge about a porchetta is like anybody could stuff a pork, but getting the skin perfectly crisped up and there's a million tricks to that. Oh, are you? Are you? What are you a believer? Are you a believer? Do you baking soda it? No. Do you, pr- I, do you prick it? I what? prick it and then blanch it. So, so I, you do I the prick blanch. it and then throw hot water over it. Twice. Ladle blanch, or pour over, yeah, not I, a dip. I, pour over. Pour over. If I had a pot big enough, I would love to dip it. That but nothing in the water. Nothing in the water, and then I salt the shit out of it and then leave it overnight in salt and then uh, start with a low temperature. Right. And then when it gets to 90 degrees, I crank my oven all the way up until it's just about on fire. And then that turns into its little chicharrones. And, and, and it, it does the puff it pops out. up and it gets all the holes and all the grease cooks oh the skin God. and it's crunchy and then you can just slice it. And it's I love it. Yeah. Oh hey Dave, God. we got to go before we do. Chat room is demanding an update on the spins all that you promised. We have this. We have the update. Nastasia is going to send it out. Uh, uh, you know, we... I'm sending. Uh, we we have the picture of the first off tooling. This is the centrifuge that I'm working on. Mm, cool. So uh, we have uh, the uh, a video of it of uh, the first off tooling one running, the one that we took to Scotland, and we're going to send that out. And then we'll probably send out a uh, more uh, substantive one next week. And then after I get back from China, we will send out another one. Uh, but you know that's probably the ones we're going to definitely send out before the um, ship date happens. Um, all right, so we didn't get to uh, – we had a question on uh, adding silver powder to a cocktail. I don't think it's necessarily a good idea. Do you know that – you ever, you know collodial silver? You guys heard of collodial silver? Mm-hmm. So people take collodial silver, uh, and this is not the same thing, but they, they – some people think it has a health thing. But if you drink too much of it, you turn blue permanently. Like the wow. silver gets into your skin. Not and a good you, look. No. Generally, not a good look. Bruised up. Uh, you know, you look like you remember in, the, in Appala in Appalachia, there were these. Uh, there was this group of people that uh, didn't ha- that like turned. They were blue naturally, like they had some sort of like genetic thing. With it. So you look, and you end up looking kind of like that, which is kind of kind of messed up. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, we're gonna go. All right, Wes. Next week, I'll talk to you about deep fryers and what deep fryer I use and how to choose a deep fryer and all that good stuff. Uh, you know, choose a deep fryer wisely. I'm, you know, someday, maybe I should invent. Someone wanted me to invent, like, work on a new oven after the spins all. But I think, like, a really good. I'm not gonna do this for. But a really good deep fryer that yeah. that like a regular person could use in your house. In your house, yeah. because like a real deep fryer is like so much better than than the yeah. one you get in your like house. A fried daddy one. Yeah, make, make like what, like the home version of a broaster. Like the in the West Coast, we have those like deep fried chicken places where it's a pressure deep fryer. And right. You, kill, you know, you cook the hood and throw the chicken in. 
Yeah, I met the guy. I think, did he die? He's still alive. Anyway, speaking of died, the guy who invented G.I. Joe died. We can talk more about that later. Uh, anything else next week? We'll, we'll talk about it next week. Oh, next week we have Richard Blaze coming on. So you know, any sort of Richard Blaze questions you have, uh, you can uh, dial in. Thanks for coming. Thanks, guys. Thanks so Thanks much so for much showing for up. Us. I had a good time. Cooking great. issues. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.